0: Joseph and Ahaz figure prominently in our readings today, don't they? Ahaz was king in Jerusalem about 700 years before Joseph lived. He was king in Jerusalem. There were two neighboring kings in Damascus and in Israel that sought to enter into a coalition with Ahaz. Coalition against the great Assyrian king. Now, Ahaz was a shrewd politician. He knew there was no hope of withstanding the Assyrian king. So he politely declined their offer, which resulted in their taking their armies and marching on him, which in turn resulted in Ahaz reaching out to the king in Syria to enter into a protection treaty with him. Part of which required Ahaz and his subjects to worship the Assyrian god. And so to that end, Ahaz had erected in the Jews' very temple an altar so that they could offer sacrifice to the Assyrian gods. So what sounds like pious words from Ahaz, I will not ask. I won't tempt the Lord. It's just the words, not of a pious man, but of a shrewd politician who's saying, no thanks, I know where true power can be found, not in the faith of the so-called high God, but in real politic, the power of the purse, which generates the power of the army. Joseph, on the other hand, well, he was no king. He was a descendant of David the king, but no no king himself a lowly man who is described as righteous or just that word is a key marker in scripture the picture of which was given to us partly in that psalm that we sang psalm 24 i think it was who is to ascend the mountain of the lord he whose heart is pure hands are clean but psalm 1 the first psalm in the psalters were we're directed to with that word, righteous, to see what, in fact, a righteous person looks like. It goes in part like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in due season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not sober are like chaff, which the wind drives away. The righteous person, the just person, is indicated as being blessed, as being deeply happy. He is one who sees that the law, God's word, is not an imposition that diminishes one's life, that reduces it, but actually opens it up to the possibility of true joy. There are many ways in which you could live. The just man sees in here a code for life, a way to have a rich and fulfilling life. That's indicated in part in that imagery that's used of the stream of flowing waters. God's word is not a dead word on a page, it's a living word. And the just person sinks his roots deeply into that living word and enacts it, it's living word, which results in that person being able to survive in the midst of adverse conditions. Not only survive, but bear fruit as the hot winds blow and the wicked, like chaff, are set aside. But the just person, they can not only survive, but thrive. Such was Joseph, the just man, who encountered something totally unexpected. His betrothed was with child. And just like what we might expect if our betrothed is with child or someone who knew, we'd say, what? Naturally, they don't want to be with me. They were unfaithful to me. They don't love me. Joseph was tasked with the challenge of drawing upon the word of God, and applying it to that certain circumstance in love. And how do we know it was in love? Well, if someone cheats on you, someone is unfaithful to you, it generates what? Resentment, anger, disappointment, which you might be inclined to broadcast widely, social media, Twitter, right? Facebook, TikTok, whatnot. But Joseph, the just person, the righteous person, interpreted and then applied the law and love by saying, you can go your way. I won't stand in your way, nor will I indicate your shame to the broad community here. Which, notice, it opened space then for God to do something new, something unexpected, Law applied in love allows space for God to do something new. It could be like a parent who lays down the law of no phones at the table. Now, it's just a dead letter in the mind until it's enacted in love, which creates space so that something new might occur, like dialogue, conversation, engagement, appreciation, sensitivity. Awareness of what's going on in the other person's life. Two men, two fundamentally different worldviews, which opened vastly different possibilities for the future. Joseph's dream reminded me of a dream I had like 20-plus years ago. I don't know about you, but either I don't dream much, or I don't remember my dreams. But this one, I can still remember vividly. I had just become a seminarian, meaning I had not even gone to the seminary yet. I had just become a seminarian, and I was sent to this small town in the middle of nowhere in Texas. Nothing to do there. And, well, the parish priest, let's say, didn't exactly celebrate Mass in keeping with the tradition of the church and the mind of our tradition that is he flattened everything out brought in the folksy brought in the popular which was kind of a crude imitation of what you could see out there somewhere else and there i was in a bit of desolation at that point i'm just beginning to discern look at what you're entering into and then i began to notice that the priest is doing all these things that weren't really all that attractive to me to do. I thought of this last week after I was kind of reviewing the masses, especially the announcements at the end, just going through to make sure I caught everything, and I thought, I, if it was left up to my own preferences, I would never be up here in front of you. I'd rather be out there anonymous with you. In desolation, seeing things that were not attractive, and then this dream came. It was as though my life had already been lived and I was in eternity with God, the figure of which was indistinct, but so was mine a little bit. It was like I was on his shoulder and I was either like a bird or a spirit, and we were looking back at the planet Earth, watching as my life was unfolding according to the choices I was making, providing, as it were, assurance that what you see currently is not the fullness of what could be. Now, you might say and argue, maybe correctly, that well, that was just your subconscious working out these difficulties that you are facing, and it could be that, but your subconscious only can draw from what you have experienced, what you've encountered, your convictions, what you know it cannot draw from something that you do not which suggested that God can intervene in history. God has entered into history and become human so that we, in a sense, might become divine. There is nothing more exalted for humanity than that. But if you were to walk through our stores, let's say maybe you had never encountered Christmas before, let's say you were an alien walking through our stores at this time of year, or maybe you watched every commercial that's out there, what would you deduce? Would anything point you to the fact that God had become a human being so that we might become divine with him? Anything? Can you point to one? Wouldn't you rather be able to say, okay, it seems like this time of year has a lot of activity regarding buying things, wouldn't you? And that your conscience is probably eased as you spend too much because it's the season of giving, after all. What kind of season? Season of cold temperatures, lack of light, or maybe you happen to cross the Hallmark Channel at any time during the year as they run their Christmas specials, and it's about... What? Well, normally a man and a woman who've had some difficulties they had to overcome. They both have nice smiles, pretty hair, and there's coffee involved, and some snow, and they fall in love, and it's Christmas. (laughs) It's a competing, if not a co-opting worldview. Flatten everything out. You're nothing but a consumer. And you can see it in a way that the holiday season is assessed. Holiday shoppers didn't spend as much this year. It wasn't a very good holiday season. Let me leave you with just a little encouragement, if not a challenge. Before you open gifts, right before you open gifts this year, no doubt you come to Mass, but right before you open gifts, whether it's just you and your spouse, you and your kids, or maybe your grandma and grandpa and you're having family over, Take your Bible out, and go to Luke chapter 2. You can remember that, Luke 2. Just read 14 verses, won't take you long, but read it out loud. It's the story of Christ's birth, which provides a context for what you are about to do, and please forgive me for saying this, it will be far more meaningful and long-lasting than that gift that you are about to, to give to your child or to your spouse. The possibilities for humanity are far greater than what is being portrayed in what is dominant out there. Blessed is the man, the woman, the child, who delights in the law, the word of the Lord.